Good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you today to Classroom 2.0 Live. We're so glad that you joined us. I'm Kim Chase, and I'm pleased to co-host today with Peggy George and Lorna Constantini. And today we're going to be talking about copyright and creative commons with special guest, Christine Hokinson. Each week at the same time, we gather to discuss the technology tools and issues. Our broadcast consists of a one-hour session, and it is recorded. The link to the full video, audio recording, and chat log will be posted to our classroom live site at live.classroom2o.com. The topic each week is posted on the live site so that you can be prepared with links, ideas, and tools that you'd like to share. A newbie question of the week that is pre-announced so you can bring some possible answers and solutions. And at the end of the show, we hope that you might share some highlights or ask questions of Kristen today. Before we begin, I'd like to review some of the features that we're going to be using today in Illuminate. During today's sessions, we'll be asking a few, a few poll questions. And you will be marking your answers either with a green check, a red X, or an A, B, C, D, E option at the top menu. You won't be clicking or making your responses on the actual slide. So uh, remember that when it comes to that point. Below the participant window is a hand with a green arrow on it. And if you'd like to ask a question or share something in the session, please raise your hand by clicking on that icon and you'll be given the ability to speak, to use the mic to speak. Next to the hand are two emoticons, the applause symbol and a thumbs down symbol. In the very far right is a blue door. If you need to step away from your computer, please click on the blue door and then you will know that you're not available at that time. Below those symbols is the chat window and if you'd like to send a message to the entire room, you would type your message and then click the send button. Make sure that when you send the message, this room is visible. If you wanted to send a message to a specific person or the moderators, then please use the drop down arrow to make your selection. Moderators are able to see all private messages throughout the session, so keep that in mind when you're sending messages. They don't show up in the recordings or in the chat log though. In the bottom right is the button to activate your mic. You would click the mic to begin speaking. Be sure to click the mic button when you're finished speaking to deactivate your microphone. If you cannot see the whole chat or the whiteboard or things that are not um, sized due to the way that you like them, you can click on view in the top menu. The layout is locked and you may need to click on the layout locked option to unlock this feature. You can then select the desired layout as shown on the right or drag out the individual windows and resize them to fit your screen or your preferences. In a moment we're going to be using the whiteboard tools and the specific tool that we're going to be using is the laser pointer and that's the one with the blue wand with the little red sunburst at the end. So now if everybody would click on the laser pointer and please indicate your location on the world map by clicking 
with your laser pointer. You may have to drag your sunburst uh, over a little bit to the right as it kind of um, puts it a little bit to the left. So um, you may need to adjust that. It's great to see so many people from different continents throughout the world. Looks like some in Asia, the United States, Europe, and we welcome everybody joining us today throughout the world. It is so fabulous. Fabulous that you joined us in Canada. Thank you so much. Now we're going to move on to the poll questions. And this is an example of the poll of the menu with the check mark and the red X as an example. And the first question is, have you ever used images or music with Creative Commons licensing in your multimedia creation? And if you're not sure what that is by the today, end of today's show, you will be. So if you have used images or music with Creative Commons licensing, please click the check, green check in your top menu. If you have not used images or music, with Creative Commons licensing, click the red X in the very top menu row. I'll give a few more seconds to ring in your and cast your votes. And then I will post the results. Okay, let me get the results. And it looks like twenty percent Two percent of the group have not used Creative Commons licensing in their multimedia creations, and about 62 percent have in this group. So let's go on to the next question. And have you ever licensed any of your original work with a Creative Commons license? If you have licensed your original work with Creative, a Creative Commons license, please click the green check. If you have not done so, click the red X in the top menu. I'll give a bit more time and then I'll post the results. And Kristen has asked a question about why the Creative Commons license material is or isn't used, and if you could type your reasons why it is or isn't used in the chat box. And I'm going to go ahead and get the results. And it looks like about 60% have not licensed their original work with the Creative Commons license, and about 31% have in this group. And if you're unsure or you're not sure what that means, or if you've not done so, then perhaps you might do so at a future time after hearing today's show. And we also have um, our closed captioning feature today by Tammy. She's um, doing the closed captioning for anybody who is hearing impaired. So if you have uh, friends and colleagues who are hearing impaired and would like to attend to the show, um, they can do so. 
they would just need to click on the blue CC box in the top menu, and then they'll be able to see the text that Tammy is typing for those who are hearing impaired. And we thank you, Tammy, for doing that. And now I'm going to um, pass the mic to Peggy or Lana, who are, is going to introduce our special guest today. There we go. I just signed myself in. Good morning, everyone. I'm just going to start a, a little discussion here about the newbie question before I, I turn it over to Peggy to introduce everyone. I always try to make the point that um, we're all experiencing different levels on different topics. And, and what we try to do here at Live Classroom 2.0 is to preface what the uh, guest or the, the subject is about today. Today, Kristen's going to get into the, the newbie question for you, but I just want to let people who have not been here before. Um, just get comfortable with, with the chat room. Uh, everything is recorded. Um, you may not be at the same place as some other people that are, are in the chat room, but um, they're here to help us as well as Kristen to go through the concept of uh, copyright and creative commons. And I'm really looking forward to this presentation. So I'm going to turn it over to Peggy now. Thanks, Lorna, and we are so excited to have Kristen Hokinson joining us today for the show. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with her blog and her wiki and many of her resources that are online. Um, you may be familiar with the Connected Classroom, and that is hers. Um, and Kristen's also a discovery educator. She wears many hats. And Kristen has become, in my opinion, an expert go-to person for many of us in the area of copyright and fair use. And I know that after today's session, you're going to want to use the archive recording to share with teachers and administrators in your own schools and districts. So we we want to say a big welcome to Kristen. Thanks for joining us, and we're going to turn it right over to you. Well, it looks like Kristen might have gotten disconnected a bit. So, um, oh, okay, she lost moderator status. Okay, that's good. I can handle that. We can fix that very quickly. Ah, there we go. So it looked like I got kicked out and back in, and when I got kicked out, I lost my moderator status. I couldn't couldn't get on the audio, so now I can. So um, as I was introduced, um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about copyright and uh, Creative Commons, and I'll give you a little bit background on my information um, myself. I uh, have been working with the Media Education Lab at Temple University, who has um, really become the forerunner in um, research on copyright and fair use for educators. Um, they have done some research and developed a best practices statement that I'm going to be talking about um, with you today. Um, so some of the goals of my presentation today are, number one, to develop an understanding of media literacy and why media literacy is important for uh, educators, and especially not just media educators, but educators who are, are using um, media and media information in their classrooms. Um, we're also going to be discussing uh, the purpose of copyright and clear up some common misconceptions about copyright. Um, my third goal is to develop some confidence in practicing our right to fair use. And you'll notice I call this a right, and I'm going to be talking about um, user rights and um, creator rights, because I think, again, that goes back to what are our misconceptions about 
um, copyright and, and fair use issues. Um, and as well, I'm going to be hoping to develop some confidence in practicing your rights to fair use, as well as examining some copyright-friendly resources that are licensed under Creative Commons. Um, multimedia analysis and composition are growing in American classrooms. So if you look at my first slide, kids are using media. They're exposed to media. Um, they're doing things with all kinds of media. So in the, in the chat room, I'm going to ask you guys to type some ways that um, you think students are using um, uh, media within your classroom. So I'm going to look for some things within the chat room box, some different things that your students are doing with different forms of meeting. You'll notice I have images here with kids with magazines and their computers and, and creating their own uh, web broadcasts. I know my kids are a big fan of iCarly um, on TV. Great. I see some digital storytelling, YouTube assignment, blogging, journaling. Okay. One of the biggest concerns with educators are, and these are my own children with their YouTube channel um, watching Elmo on TV, uh, that a lot of educators are not really sure what to do about this um, when they have the students that come into their classrooms that are so media savvy um, and are so used to having media um, at their fingertips. There's some components of 21st century literacy skills that I just want to touch on real quick, and that has to do with um, tool competence and analysis and critical thinking and ethical judgment and creativity, expression, teamwork. All of the skills that we're asking of our students when we're giving them these, these types of projects to do. Um, when we do that, we really have a responsibility with our students to develop these media literacy skills. And when I talk about media literacy skills, um, there's really a go-to person. I'm going to drop a link in the chat room, and that's Frank Baker. HTTP. Um, and Frank Baker has done a lot of research in the area of media literacy to find that media literacy really is in all of our state standards in social studies and in English and in writing. Um, and it's really an expanded conceptualization of literacy that includes mass media, popular culture, and digital technology. And it requires students to be able to have good communication skills, to be able to analyze and evaluate and communicate messages in a wide variety of forms. Technology makes it really easy for us to do that. It makes it easy for us to share. Uh, it makes it easy for us to use things and to modify and distribute and excerpt and quote from. And so therefore, we really have to think about and teach students to think about what it is that they are using. Um, and it's another reason why the ideas of copyright um, and fair use are so important. A uh, problem is that owners, uh, people who own material, especially copyrighted material, and even things that are licensed under Creative Commons, they're so used to being able to forcefully assert their rights to restrict use and to, to limit what you can use and to charge high fees for things that, they, that you want to use. Um, they're able to discourage your use and, and use scare tactics to make you um, not sure what it is that you can do. So I'm going to put a little poll question up here. So I'm going to say my first question for today, and you can use, um, hopefully we can get this changed up here in my polling. Um, let me see if I can figure out how to do this. I'm going to go A through E. There you go. And if you can just click on my choice, uh, what is your level of confidence in understanding copyright and fair use? I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes to just click on that poll. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm going to see what Melanie's comment is. <laughs> Melanie said she's a DA and she's a lawyer. I want to make sure that my, my audio is still being heard. I see myself on the speaker. Looks like we're still waiting for a couple people to, to log in their responses. I like Sharon's comment where she says, it seems to depend on whom you talk to when asking experts about the law. And I'm going to uh, cite some of the experts that were used within, within the research that was done through Temple's Media Education Lab. Okay, so um, it looks like um, most people are falling in the middle range where they, they kind of feel like they understand it. I have a couple that are very confident, um, a few that feel fairly confident, and there's um, some that are, are really kind of confused. So hopefully the information that I have to share today um, will um, clear that up. Um, that's a great question if this is, talk is uh, USA-centric. Fair use that I'm talking about today and the law that I'm talking about today is U.S. copyright law. Um, and so I know that in Canada, um, I've had a lot of um, conversations with my colleagues on, on my Canadian colleagues and hopefully Lorna will be able to uh, pipe in and share a little bit about her experience um, in terms of fair use. Um, but yes, this is based primarily on the law, copyright laws of, of the United States. First question then for you is, what is the purpose of copyright? And again, I'm glad my question came up because I'm asking this based on the U.S. Constitution. For those of us, and there were quite a few um, who are in the U.S. today, um, what is the purpose of, um, of copyright? Okay, great. I see some protecting owners' rights. Um, to be able to profit from their work. Um, copyright will protect profits to protect the value of intellectual property. Um, employment for copyright lawyers, uh, protect the owners. Um, most of the time when I present this information, people say the same thing. Their understanding is the copyright is designed to protect the owner. When in reality, from the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, um, the, the true purpose of copyright is to promote creativity, innovation, and the spread of knowledge. And I'll share with you uh, the copyright clause in the U.S. Constitution uh, states that um, to promote the progress of science and the useful arts by, by securing for a limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and drawings. Okay? to promote the progress of science and the useful arts. I want the room to just kind of think about that for a minute, okay? And I'm going to give you a couple of dates. The first date I'm going to share with you is 1790. Um, the Copyright Act of 1790 established U.S. copyright with a term of 14 years with a 14-year renewal. 
Copyright Act of 1909 extended that term to 28 years with a 28-year renewal. The Copyright Act of 1976 extended the term again to either 75 years or the life of author plus 50 years of an extended copyright to unpublished works. It preempted state copyright laws. It codified much of copyright doctrine that, that had originated in case laws. I want you to think about these dates for a minute. 1790, 1909, 1976, and the real purpose under the U.S. Constitution was to promote the progress of science and the useful arts, okay? These are all a 20th century understanding of science and the useful arts. They're, they're a 20th century understanding of creativity and innovation. And if you think about it, just about everything that there is is protected under copyright. No wonder teachers are confused, okay? Um, so there is, within our Constitution, also the doctrine of fair use. The doctrine of fair use. Um, and, it, and Peggy, that's great. It's a very different perspective on the understanding of the purpose of copyright. And I think that that's why we need to go back to the U.S. Constitution and say, what was it designed to do? Yes, it was designed to protect the ideas, okay, while promoting innovation, creativity, and the spread of knowledge. Okay? And right now, we're in an explosive time um, for information where we really need to start to think about um, those, this, this doctrine of fair use. Okay? So the doctrine of fair use is our limitations on the exclusive rights under fair use. This is in Title 17 of the U.S. Code. It was currently published by the U.S. government and it reflects the laws that are passed by Congress as of January 3, 2007. Okay? And it talks a little bit about notwithstanding the purpose of copyright, and again, to promote creativity, innovation, and the spread of knowledge. The objective of the doctrine of fair use is to give people the rights to use copyrighted material freely without payment or permission for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Okay, and you'll see there are four different um, uh, purposes that we're going to talk about today. The purpose of the use, you need to think about the nature of the use, the amount of the use, the effect of the use in the potential market, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But it gives folks a little bit more le uh, leeway. Okay? So what happened as a result? We're told that everything is copyrighted and you can't use it, except if you're looking at it under fair use. Again, I say, it's no wonder teachers are confused. Okay, the result of all of this is some copyright confusion. We see the DVD encryption that says you can't use this for anything. Um, you see the codes that, that go on the website that says please don't copy. And yet, we're told that if we are looking at these things fairly and considering the purpose, the nature, the amount of the use and the effect on the potential market, then we can use it. What do teachers do? Well, some of them practice the see no evil. Um, some of the teachers want to close the door and just do what's in their classrooms, and others really want to hyper-comply. They want to know what are these rules, what are the laws, what are the guidelines, and how can I follow them? Okay? And I was a hyper-comply teacher. I was the teacher that wanted to always follow the rules, and I wanted to know what the rules were so that I could put it into my rubric, right? Um, we wanted to make sure that our rubric reflected that our students were doing what it was they were allowed to do. Um, and they wanted to know what students could or could not do with material in all situations. Okay? There's yet another problem with this. Because I started at the beginning of my, my presentation talking a little bit about the fact that, um, that we want to be able to give our students the opportunity to use it. Um, so people started to come up with these guidelines. Okay? But what really fair use asks us to do is to exercise our ability to think critically about the material that we're using in the situation that we're using it. 
Okay, so these guidelines became confusing. Many of you know some of these negotiated agreements. These are simply negotiated agreements between media companies and educational groups. So the, some examples are the agreement on guidelines for classroom copying for nonprofit institutions. Um, some of you know about the guidelines for educational use of music. Um, and I think that, that people are confused by those. The fair use guidelines for educational media. Um, I could probably ask you to put some of those guidelines into the chat room. Some of you probably know what they are. Um, think of some of the guidelines that you've asked your students to follow. Maybe the 30-second rule for music. Great, I see 10%. What are some of the other guidelines that you've been able to or that you think of when you think of giving these, um, okay, Alice has one, 10% or 30 seconds of music, copy nothing, cite your sources, no more than five images. So you can see where all of these guidelines make it even more confusing for educators, okay? But I found most interesting when I first started to listen into the information about the code of best practices for fair use is that, yes, those guidelines are confusing and they're not the law. Okay, so people think that I can use, as long as I am only using 30 seconds, I am okay, because that's the law. It's not the law. Um, and this information, this statement is by a gentleman by the name of Kenneth Cruz, um, and he stated that the documents that are created by negotiated agreements give themselves the appearance of positive law. These qualities are merely illusory, and consequently, the guidelines have had a seriously detrimental effect. They interfere with an actual understanding of the law, okay, and erode confidence in the law as created by Congress and the court. Um, I'm glad that Tracy said that Kenny Cruz was one of her professors. I wanted to give you a little bit of his background. Um, Kenneth Cruz is uh, currently serving at the Columbia University. He was the founding director of the Copyright Advisory Office um, with a goal of trying to provide guidance with respect to the relationship between copyright law and then research and teaching, like how you apply that copyright law. Um, he's also been a faculty member in law, business, and library and information science. And he's published several books about copyright law and constitutional law. Um, he was also honored as the American Library Association's 2005 recipient of the L. Ray Patterson Award in support of user rights. And I wanted to bring that up because I think it's important for us to understand that these rights are users' rights. Most people are confused that copyright is designed to protect the copyright holder, when in reality, fair use is designed to protect the creators of new material. And I had another great question that just came through and it said, why should classroom teachers put themselves on the front line of testing these guidelines and thus putting themselves and their schools in a position of liability? I'm going to talk a little bit about that if you uh, give me a couple uh, minutes, Rob, just to kind of share some of the things that we are doing and some of the ideas and concepts with fair use um, and how, how fair use has kind of come about and some of the litigation that's come along with it. Um, so it's time to replace some old knowledge with some accurate knowledge. So um, I have a video, and hopefully, Kim, you were able to get that loaded in. Let me see if I can see it. Uh, it doesn't look like it's in the multimedia library. Um, Kim, were you able to download, and would you be able to? Excellent. Yes, I just set it up as a web tour. So it, um, if you want the 
upper or the lower video? Nope, neither one of these. Okay. There was, third, there was another one. So can I can I set it up as a web tour and share from myself, or can I? Sure, you sure can. can. You sure can. All right, I'm going to actually open it up from my desktop, and I'm going to go into this one, and we'll see if I can open it up and then share it from my desktop. You can also do application sharing if you wanted to share it from your desktop now, well, instead of the internet. Well, this. That's, I am going to do, I'm going to do that. But um, my question for you is, will they be able to hear the audio, or am I going to need to unplug my speakers? Um, I'm not sure about, I don't recall, I don't think you can with the application sharing, which is why we were going with the um, the web tour. But if okay. you put in the, okay, let me do that. I'm sorry, I missed the, that there was a third video. Um, I, I may have just given you the link to the wrong one. So let me try a web tour myself. Okay. Um, if not, if you post the link in here, then I can... Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. And I'm going to go to um, presenting. And down at the bottom. Each of us, um, in order to hear the video, will need to press the play button in the web tour window. And then when the video is finished, Kristen, you can close the, by clicking on the, or exiting the, the window. And you can control the video by uh, moving the slider up or down on the left corner by the microphone. And if you scroll down on that page that's in the web tour window until it says, yes, you can copy, conquering copyright confusion, that's the video that we're going to be watching. And then when you're ready, no, go ahead no, and click the all, play. Oh. Kim, Kim, it's all the way down at the bottom of the page. So if you scroll down. Okay. So I guess, so you're going to scroll down, and I'm sorry about this. I'm going to load the rest of the videos in right through the um, system. But there's um, the under, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, there's a link that says presentations, and it would be the third video down. Um, so the first one says copyright web movie, and okay. the second one says fair users, fair fair use song users rights, and then the third one down says code of best practices. And so it's the video okay. under the title that says code of best practices. Okay, if everybody would click on the one that says Code of Best Practices Movie, you'll need to scroll down. And then click the play button. Okay, go ahead and click the Code of Best Practices movie. The 
If you're having difficulty, you can click directly from the chat window. Okay, yes. If you don't have QuickTime loaded, then there will be a difficulty uh, playing the video. And if you're unable to view it this time, you will be able to in the recording. I apologize for these difficulties. You can access it from that page. Okay, so hopefully I can just shut this web tour down as everyone finished with the video. I saw a lot of conversation in the chat room. Um, and I want to, um, I'll drop a couple of points, but I want to open up the uh, microphone um, for anyone who has strong thoughts. Because I know the first time I saw that video um, and started talking to the folks at the Media Education Lab um, about the ideas that were contained in that video, um, I, I had a lot of questions about it. So let me open up my mic. Um, to to some of your questions right now. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment about the video, um, you're welcome to take the microphone by um, clicking on the hand icon with the green arrow. If you're not available, if you don't have a microphone, you can also type your question into the um, the chat. Copyright is away, but they have Anybody have a question or a comment that they would like to make? Um, 
Kristen, there have been some concerns about um, viewing Disney movies. I know that you have to purchase this, the certain, um, I forgot what it's called, for, for certain Disney videos and, and certain movies that are published um, in order to be able to view those in a whole group setting. Like, And then they were talking about um, using that the Disney movies as a fundraiser, selling tickets like to people so that they can view the movie in a group setting. Yeah, those are all instances, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the next project that the Media Lab is tackling, um, because it does have to do with DVDs and using, again, if we're talking about fair use, okay, fair use of those concepts will be, um, let's say perhaps they were studying Pocahontas, um, and the students, or they were, they were at the time where they were learning uh, about the things that were happening at the time, they wanted to use a particular piece of that video to reflect uh, a particular idea. Um, that would be covered under fair use. Selling tickets to their family movie night um, obviously is not a fair use of that media. Um, and so schools really need to be cautious when they're having those, um, those types of um, questions. Uh, YouTube, um, we're going to talk about them and share some of the resources uh, that we're putting together and preparing to have teachers start to engage in these conversations. Um, so one of the questions was, how did the video uh, that we just showed support the idea that fair use requires an expanded conceptualization of literacy? We talked about this concept of media literacy that includes mass media and popular culture and digital technology, as well as the ability to analyze and evaluate and communicate messages in a wide variety of forms. Um, and Shannon, that's interesting that you talk about the terms of use. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, so what do, you, what do you think? What's the difference between asking students to think critically about media that they're using or just saying that you can use 30 seconds? Well, if you know, did you have a question or a comment? You have the microphone if you'd like to share. Okay. Kristen, um, you might want to uh, Repeat your question. Okay, so my question was uh, the idea of um, rather than just putting out guidelines that say you can do X, Y, or Z, um, this was an introduction to the Code of Best Practices, and I'm going to share the five principles of that now going forward. But how did that start to think about um, forcing students to think about the idea of what they were using rather than um, than simply just giving them permission to fair use to do it all, or to do 30 seconds. Okay, so great about ideas about respecting ownership. Um, I think that Disney example with the, uh, the movie night. Um, is a good one um, to, to kind of start the conversation. Sorry, I must have released my mic. Here we go. Um, I'm going to try to share out a copy of the Code of Best Practices and Fair Use. Um, and here are the five guidelines. I want you to just kind of take a look at them and um, kind of discuss amongst yourselves. There were some words in here that really disturbed people. Um, and we are going to talk about the transformativeness standard. So the idea is that educators can 
uh, use copies of material. They can use create curriculum materials. They can share, sell, and distribute as long as they meet the transformativeness standards. So let me see if I can real quick pull up uh, a copy of the Code of Best Practices that I can send to everyone. Um, and hopefully that will load out and show on your screen. If you guys can let me know if you're getting it, perfect. Um, so that works. Um, the, the, these uh, five principles are located on pages 10 to 14 of the code. Um, and I want to talk a little bit uh, as we go on. I'm going to go through these principles as we talk a little bit about what does it mean to be transformative. Uh, transformative use is fair use. So when a user of copyrighted material and even creative common material adds value to or repurposes the material for use that's different from that which was originally intended, it is going to be considered transformative use. Okay, so in the example of your movie night, the original purpose of that movie was for Disney or whomever to create a, an entertaining uh, piece of work that people could pay to enjoy. So if you're showing that at your movie night at your school for exactly the same purpose, you're, it's, there's, there's nothing transformative about that at all. Um, and it's really difficult to argue uh, fair use that um, that um, that way. And yes, Tracy, um, this PowerPoint um, I have everything that I have on my work is is um, licensed under Creative Commons, uh, where you can use, modify, adapt to your own purpose as long as you credit back uh, to the original source. So I'll share with you some links at the end. I know there are some show links that have all of the materials as well as the PowerPoints embedded in there. Um, so here's an example, and I'm going to give you a great example of transformative, and a couple of examples to help you understand that idea of what does transformativeness mean. Okay? This is a case, and this is actually a commercial case, Bill Graham Archives versus Dern Kinsley. You know, the DK books, the coffee table books. DK was writing a documentary of the Grateful Dead, and they were documenting how art was illustrative of history during the times. And they wanted to um, use this Jefferson Airplane poster with um, an advertisement for a concert in this coffee table book. And they went to Bill Graham Archives and asked permission. And they said, we would like to use this fairly in our book under fair use. And Bill Graham said no, um, that they would need to pay for it. And DK said, well, we believe that our use is going to constitute um, that our use is going to be a fair use of material. And um, most of the copyright infringement cases against teachers have been in cases where they were in violation of fair use. They hadn't thought through the process. So let me give you some tools, too, that can help you to do that. Um, so my transformative use, the purpose of the original poster was to generate publicity for a concert. The purpose of the new work was to document and illustrate that concert events in historical context, okay? So new use for an old material, fair, even in a commercial case, okay? Um, I shared out the uh, transformativeness video. Um, hopefully, you guys were able to see that. I was hoping that it would show up. Um, it doesn't look like it's there anymore. Um, so you must, it must have gone out to the team. Is that how it works? I thought if I uploaded a movie, it stayed in here and I could show it at another time. Kim, do you know how that works? Um, if you uploaded it in the media library? Mm-hmm. 
It has to load to each individual person before they're able to view it, and they have to have the, the specific plug-in. Okay. So um, this is the uh, transformativeness video. Um, some of you saw this as we are, um, as as I, it got sent out at some point in time. So some people were able to view it. Um, I did create individual links on the copyright confusion page um, called videos. And on each of these is a link to uh, the individual uh, video. This one is called the Fair Use Song or User's Rights Song. Uh, it's a great way to explain transformativeness uh, to your students. Um, let me see if I could bring that up, just this particular song, through a web tour, if it will play on everyone's machine. So if you click on that video, you should be able to see the fair use song. If you click on play, is each person in order to view the video will need to click on play individually?
Okay, and I see some interesting conversations surrounding Roxanne's question. Um, Tracy, your answer were only two pages of a children's book as long as the text accompanying the picture is 10% or less of the total. That's from the guidelines. That is where we are getting hung up as educators on these quote unquote rules, the law that doesn't exist. Um, I would encourage you to take a look at the code on page 10. Um, Roxanne's question would clearly fall under principle one of the code. Um, and you need to look at these limitations of it. Um, love the video. I think that it's, um, I'm losing track of the, um, of the chat. And I do want to kind of give you guys, I'm going to go back to follow the moderator, which means I need to go back to whatever slide I was on. Okay, uh, a couple of tools. Um, if you notice on the slide, they talked about two questions to ask yourself in the little video. Did the unlicensed use transform the material taken from the copyrighted work by using it from a different purpose than that original, or did it just repeat the work with the same intent and value of the original? And was the material taken appropriate in kind and amount? Um, one of the things that we have done is we have created a reasoning form um, that takes you through the process. And I know we don't have time to kind of go through that. I'd be happy to come back or, or do another show where we, where we do reason through the, the steps of fair use. Um, we're doing a full half-day workshop at NEC this summer on the process, but thinking through what is, what is the reason that I'm choosing to use this copyrighted material? Is it the same or different from the original use? Um, what is the amount that I'm using? Is it fair in, in nature and in kind? And that's all on the wiki space um, on the uh, web address that was shown there. And I did use the fairy case as one. Let's take a look and let's talk about whether or not that use was fair. Uh, as far as litigation, um, there has been no litigation ever against teachers where um, if a reasonable attempt has been made to uh, reason their use of the fair use. So again, having this tool to help them go through that process is very valuable because you'd be able to say to myself, hmm, I'm really thinking about the nature of my use, the, the reason that I'm choosing that material. Um, and at the end of it, you may come and decide that your use isn't a fair use. Um, and I think that's important for educators um, educators to see. Uh, so this code of best practice does help educators uh, teach themselves about how fair use applies to their work. Um, it persuades those gatekeepers, your school leaders and your librarians, to accept well-founded assertions of fair use, uh, to promote revisions to school policies, to discourage copyright owners from threatening or bringing lawsuits, and in addition, to show that a use, that you have reasons through your use to be fair. Um, Creative Commons is another thing that, that teachers can do. I, rec I highly recommend Joyce Valenza's uh, wiki space. Um, it's called Copyright Friendly. Um, and she has a wealth of resources, even within those sessions, even within those Creative Commons licensed material. I think it is important for us to teach students that they need to still reason through the process. They need to look at why they are choosing that particular piece of even Creative Commons licensed material in their new work is, and, and again, thinking critically about the media that they're choosing to use. Um, and if somebody could drop that in there, it's copyright friendly. Um, friendly, and I'm typing in, trying to talk at the same time, um, .wikispaces.com. I think that's it. Hopefully that will take you to the link. If not, someone else can check it. 
Um, I also, at the beginning of this, they said, how can we put teachers in the forefront and ask them to test this um, code? Well, it has already been endorsed by the Association for College Research Librarians, the National Association for Media Literacy, the Action Coalition for Media Education, the Visual Studies Division of the International Communications um, Association. As a matter of fact, this code has been adopted um, on November 11th, the National Council of Teachers of English has adopted it as their official policy on fair use. So this is not a statement that we're asking teachers to, to, to test. Um, and I believe the American Library Association, um, they're working on an endorsement from the American Library Association as well. I think they're looking at this in terms of saying maybe we need to have our own code that represents um, American school, school libraries. Um, the next thing that the, the Media Lab is working on is an anti-circumvention uh, rule. Um, Renee Hobbs will be standing in um, front of the United States Copyright Office May 6th through 9th. Um, trying to get it to be legal, to create an exemption making it legal for teachers and students to bypass the encryption codes for certain uses of film DVDs. Okay, this is not for showing the Disney movie at your movie night. But it is for a transformative use of a piece of a DVD that you are currently unable to unencrypt and use just those pieces to make a statement to teach your students to critically analyze uh, multimedia. Um, I want to make sure to point you to the Media Education Lab. There is a wealth of um, resources for teaching, for critically analyzing lesson plans um, at the Media Education Lab. So please take advantage of them. Um, the case studies, I was involved in a project at my high school um, that became a case study for the Media Lab. And this wiki space is also a place where we've designed some scenarios that teachers can go and analyze and start to think through and develop some confidence in their understanding of fair use. Um, so I know I'm now to their own slides with about a minute left for Q&A. I wanted to leave about five. Uh, but hopefully um, this was useful information. Um, hopefully it will get you thinking about Creative Commons, about fair use, uh, about how you're teaching your students to critically analyze uh, media. And I'm going to type in the address of the wiki space to um, come and join our conversation. And give it back over to the question 2.0 folks. Thank you, Kristen, so much. That's great, great information. And there's no way that we could cover everything in them within an hour. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. So if you wanted to stay after a little bit, you're welcome to do so and continue the conversation for a little bit. Um, next week is May 2nd. And next Saturday, we're going to be talking about managing social networks and how can I keep track and stay on top of all my social networks without going crazy. And what is inbox zero? And that's the newbie question of the week. I'm not necessarily a movie, but I'm definitely new to what is Inbox Zero. I'm not familiar with that concept. So that will be an exciting time next week at the same time. And we have a new survey. And I'm going to go ahead and post that in uh, the chat as well as on the slide so that you can access that. And then I'll post it in the web tour in just a bit. And this survey is not just about uh, eliminate. It's also about um, giving feedback on this session today and on Classroom 2.0 Live in general. So if you could please take a few moments to fill that out. You can click on the link or um, click on the, uh, the share tabs. The link is in the share tabs list as well. And we appreciate any feedback that you can give us on 
the series that we produce here in the Classroom 2.0 uh, live series. And the Future of Education is another new community that Steve Harkadon has set up. And next week is going to be an interview with Jerry Putnam from education.au for Australia on April 29th, Wednesday evening, 5 p.m. Pacific time or 8 p.m. Eastern time. And please join us for that time and Steve Harkadon. And if you need more information, you can contact or visit the website futureofeducation.com. The recordings of today's session and the chat log and the MP3 audio file will be posted on the live website later this weekend or today. I know uh, Steve is at the Sacramento workshop and we want to welcome Steve Hargadon and all of the attendees at the Sacramento conference in California. Welcome and hello. And as we close, we want to say a special thanks to Kristen today for uh, joining us and talking about copyright and Creative Commons. And of course, a very special heartfelt thanks to Steve Hargadon, who is the founder of Classroom 2.0 and thefutureofeducation.com. And thank you so much to everybody who participated. I know we ran out of time and there were lots of questions that weren't answered today. We hope that at a future time we can uh, meet again. We're going to stay a little bit past the time. If you wanted to stay and ask questions, we can certainly do so. And also a special thank you to Illuminate for providing this forum for us to meet each week at the same time on Saturday. Or if you're a Shambles Guru, 10 o'clock at night or so, midnight, I'm not sure. I can't remember Shambles. But regardless of what time it is in your area of the world, we welcome you, we thank you, and thank you for coming. We hope that you're able to stick around. If not, We'll see you next Saturday at the same time. And thank you so much for everybody for joining us today for Copyright and Creative Commons with Kristen. Is anybody, would anybody like to take the microphone to ask Kristen a comment or a question? I'm not sure, Kristen, how long you're able to stay, but that's okay if you need to go. Oh, I'm just reading through the chat lab. I was hoping Rob was still around. I think I see him still in here. Um, I wanted to make sure that I that I pointed out two things. Um, Rob had made a comment about you know not wanting to encourage teachers to be able to do anything, and I think I hope that was kind of what I was trying to get across, but in not enough time is that we need to start teaching this as a reasoning process, not as about here's your guidelines so that I can check off on my rubric, oh, the kid only used 30 seconds. We want them to really be thinking about the types of media that they're using and why. Why are you choosing that particular piece of media? Um, and as I, I believe I thought I saw somebody, Sharon, say, you know, we, uh, we need to get teachers to face the issues. And I think that, that that's what this is all about. It's all too easy to hand kids a guideline, a, a chart that says 10% and let them use 10% and not have to think about it. But if you think about what we're trying to do with 21st century skills with students is we really want our students to become critical thinkers and analyzers of information. And I'll get off my soapbox now. I think, drive the mic. You should do well. Go ahead.
Great. Yeah, it's so difficult to try to articulate yourself you know, in a chat room. But my, my fear is I, I work with pre-service teachers, a few hundred of them every semester, and we, we talk about copyright and the fair use guidelines, and we really um, try to make use of Creative Commons because it's such a fantastic resource. But what I see too often is that even with this uh, activities that we do in class, our students tend to walk away still thinking that as long as it's uh, you know good for the children that they can essentially do what they want. And, and I hope that not very many of them walk away with that because we do really try to get them using and making these decisions in their projects. But the biggest problem is that they, there's a huge misconception that things like Google Images are something that can be used freely. And so what I, I, I was wondering if you could address is this whole idea of web distribution, the, the ability to publish a website and does that itself rule out fair use? Because I've kind of struggled with that in many of our students' projects. If they're going to post something for unlimited distribution on the website, then it seems to me fair use doesn't apply. And I'm not even sure uh, how well we can argue something that is a transformative work. That's a great question. The TEACH Act, yes, does some of that. But even under the TEACH Act, there are, um, there are some constraints to this. I I'm going to uh, direct you if I can um, pull them up and multitask while I'm doing this. But um, the, the case study that I did, so I'm not watching the chat right now. I'm just going to talk. Um, when I did um, the case study um, for the Media Education Lab and I got involved with this project, um, I was doing a project with a teacher. And he was having his students create a virtual zoo. And um, we ha I went into the classroom and I talked to the students and I said to them, look, if you're going to, and we encouraged our students to use Flickr. I'm going to pull up the, if I can pull up the virtual zoo project right now. Um, this will show you all of the guidelines. And I believe this is actually live for this year. Um, but it will give you an opportunity to view um, what the requirements of the project were. Um, so it went through the research. We talked about copyright and fair use with the students. We talked about how to use Flickr in their advanced searches. And I went in and I talked to the students about the fact that if you are going into Google Images, for example, first of all, Google Images is not a, a website. So people think they're going to cite Google Images as their source of information. Um, one of the things that we need to teach students is that when, once they get to that Google Image page, they actually have to go to that website and find out how that image was used in the context of the website. Because Google Images is not the context in which the, the image was found. Okay? So we said to kids, if you're using Google Images, we want you to go out to the context of where you found that video. We want you to cite that web address. And if it's another virtual zoo, if you're getting that image of a koala bear off of the San Diego Zoo page, and they're using it to demonstrate koala bears on the San Diego Zoo page, and you're putting it on your zoo page, there's nothing that you're doing to transform that. But if you're going to Flickr and you're using an advanced search and you're finding images that are licensed under um, Creative Commons, and it's somebody else's trip to the zoo, and it was used to document a family's vacation, and you're putting that in the context of, of the koala bear, and what because it happened to be a very good picture of a koala bear, and you're documenting information about a koala bear, then you are adding value to that image um, in your use. Um, and we did have several instances where Flickr users who don't understand their terms of use um, contacted us and said, you used my picture without my permission. Yeah, I created a Commons license, but you didn't ask. Now, should the students have asked permission? 
sure, but they were being transformative in their use, so there was no need for them to have to ask permission. Or it may have been an artist that was putting their work up there. Um, so I think it's, it's very interesting for them to have to go to actually the, the process of using the Internet to, to actually have to think through what was the original purpose of the work and what is, what is, what is my use. Um, I'm going to upload for whoever's left and whoever stays for the transcript um, that fair use and reasoning form um, because I think that's another uh, bit of information that's really going to be helpful because it forces someone to go through the process and thinking of um, what is it that I'm using, why am I choosing this, why was it originally intended, is my use the same? And I think that if we start to train teachers that way, our students are going to have to do it too. I, I showed in my beginning slide, my daughter's in kindergarten and when she did her seahorse report, we had three sources of information, a website, a book, and an image bank. Um, and when we put information into a report, I said, where did that information come from? How are we going to let people know that I didn't take that picture of a seahorse? I think those, cr those conversations are critical when we're asking students to use media so much in a classroom. Rob, did you want to follow up? or? Add to that question or comment? Well, if I could, yeah, let me ask you. Do you consider, yeah, do, do you consider transformative use a spin-off of fair use, an extension of fair use? And what I mean by that is <clears throat> if fair use has four basic principles that says, you know, uh, use must be, uh, you know, the nature of the use must be uh, nonprofit educational, it must be integral to the curriculum, and the fourth one which says the impact of the use on the market value of the work, which basically gets to the distribution uh, question. Is transformative use a spinoff of that which says that you can um, override uh, the fair use guidelines if you're, if you're making something new out of it? And then the question is, do you have to, is a website a website? I mean, how do you decide, you give the zoo example, you're making a website about a zoo and you took a picture from a zoo website, but what if I'm doing a web quest uh, about zoo animals? Is that different than a, a zoo website? Is that transformative use? There's so many gray areas like that when students actually try to implement this. Kristen, did we lose you? No, but I couldn't get the audio back until I found the file. Oh, okay. I'm loaded it up. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah, I think, and again, the tool for reasoning I'm going to send through there, I think it's all about going through the process and developing confidence and understanding. And um, like I said, we've created some scenarios. Um, I'm working right now on updating them. We're presenting at a conference next week for uh, the Pennsylvania um, Pleasance for the future coaches and school librarians um, to kind of hash through and we'll be using these for other uh, situations. But look over some of those scenarios and think through those processes. But yes, I think you are right, Rob. There is a lot of gray area. But what's important about the gray is to the, the idea of developing the confidence of going through the process and looking at each individual use. If you look at the uh, 
copyright clause of the U.S. Constitution. If you look at the fair use um, clause in, um, and, and look at what the wording says, it talks about each individual case. And that's why you can't count on those guidelines. You can't count on that 10% rule. You can't count on that 30 seconds. Because a student using only 30 seconds of music under something that's completely unrelated, okay, so it doesn't do anything to the, to the media folks that are putting it out there, fits in that quote unquote guideline, right, following the rules, but it's not doing anything to, to transform the student's work or that original work. And I think that that's where we really, the idea of copyright is creativity, innovation, and the spread of new knowledge. Um, and I think that that's why it's important to, to start to teach those ideas and concepts to, to, to teachers and to students. And that's key, the modeling and the, you know, the demonstration of that for students as well as for colleagues. Thanks, Rob. Um, I know we're running out of time. Uh, I'm going to, if you need to leave, you're welcome to leave, everyone. But if you uh, want to stay, we're happy to stay for a bit. Um, Chris, somebody asked a question early on in the session about how do mashups fit in? So mashups meaning? Um, mashups like, um, I'm assuming, I'm not sure if that person is still here. Um, mashups but like mixing music, photos. Or Blogster or creating Animotos. You know, again, mm -hmm. I think it goes back to wh what was the purpose of the original material that they're using to mash up? Like why, why were those photos taken? Um, and, and again, some of the, here are some of the scenarios that we came up with. Like one is, um, you know, for a multi, for a media production course, students have created a music video using the Beatles song Strawberry Fields Forever that features teens lip syncing and playing air guitar along with footage of a teen couple walking hand in hand in a graveyard and they post the video to YouTube. Is that transformative? So I think it's all a matter of developing that confidence in thinking through the process. And we're going to be using these eight scenarios um, next week. So you'll start to see, I only right now have scenario one and two done. But if you click on scenario one, let me go back. I'll drop that link again into the chat window. Uh, but this is the link, OK? So there's my scenarios. And each scenario has its own page where it will have a copy of a Google form. That's the form that I presented to you. The teachers will also have a paper copy of the form. But as you go down and scroll down and fill in and think about this scenario, there's a link at the bottom that says, what do others think? And what it will do is then publish the information of how others need to kind of start to see how people are thinking through that transformative use. Really, when it comes down to case law, um, uh, and, and a judge will go to the community in which this case has come up. So for example, if this is a case against an educator, they're going to go to educators and they're going to look and they're going to say, what does best practices define fair use as within your community? And that's basically what this code has done, is it's defined fair use within the educational community so that teachers have a place to go and say, you know, this is a, a situation in, when, in which my use would likely be considered fair under these conditions, let me compare my use to that principle 
and I'm going to decide for myself whether or not my use is fair. Um, I think uh, Rod is very correct, and the teachers go out there and they think that they can do everything. They're the ones that are going to need to be cautious, okay? Because you can't do everything. You need to think through the process. And this form is a way to get teachers to understand what the process is that they need to reason through in order to justify their use as fair. Okay, great. And another question was, can you uh, show a whole movie like this is back around the Disney conversation time um, to compare uh, to a novel? Sorry, my mic was off when I started talking. Um, so if you think about it, okay, what was the purpose of the original movie? The right, and what is the purpose? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, and so what is the purpose of your use of that entire movie? As an instructional tool. Okay, so the teacher is going to use it as an instructional tool, or they're going to be teaching students how to analyze that media in comparison with text, uh, to make connections between the text and the video, to look at how things were the same or different. Okay, is your purpose, how is the purpose for using a copyrighted work different from the author's original or the creator's original purpose? I would generally say yes. Okay, and then was the material taken appropriate in kind and amount considering the nature of the copyrighted work and then of, of this teacher's use of the work and I've, we would want that to be explained. Okay, and then did the unlicensed use transform the material taken from the copyrighted work? I would probably argue that this is not necessarily a, a transformation of a work because you're not creating something new with it. Um, think about the effect that your use has on the potential market of the original work. Again, are you selling tickets to something that that the um, the creator is not generating revenue for? Then I would think that that's got to be taken into consideration. It's really about learning how to analyze each instance as its own instance. Um, and I think that teachers, a lot of teachers do show movies within their classroom in order for those same purposes. They're educational in nature. Um, and, and again, but you would have to say, how, how, how did you obtain the copy? Did you get it through your library? Who secured that through licensing for your schools to be able to use it? I've had a lot of questions with some of these services like Discovery Streaming. Um, how do you use Discovery Streaming within the classroom? And again, that's something that you've bought a license for. Um, so if your students are using the editable clips within United Streaming to create a new product. That's part of why they put that material out there is they make it available, but you have to buy a license to gain that material. So if you were, let's say, downloading an editable clip from Discovery Streaming, you couldn't post that editable clip on your website for your students to freely use. You'd have to post it on a secured network so that your students could utilize that because you were the ones who bought the license for, for using that material. That makes sense coming back to the original purpose for using the copyrighted material. The next question was um, something about um, Kastenmeier guidelines regarding TV shows. 
know what, there's a great question that I just saw as I was scrolling through that says material out of publication. And again, this goes back to those five principles within the code, and I'm going to see if I can't um, pull those up so we're kind of thinking about them as we're looking at some of these. Um, Yeah, okay. So, for example, in, in question number, in principle number one where it said educators can make copies of newspaper articles, TV shows, and other copyrighted works and use them and keep them for educational use. Um, I think that's important when you think about material out of publication. That's why that first principle exists within the code. It's because oftentimes you have this material that you've been utilizing and you want to be able to continue to utilize it to make a particular point um, within your material. And I think that's important to do. Um, Kim, you asked a question that I, I didn't understand, so maybe you want to... I didn't understand it either. I was just writing it down, talking about the okay. copyright issues about TV shows. Okay. So let me see if we can I'm get clarification sure that for that one. Still here. And I'll and I'll go back to Peggy because she said um, something about linking. Oh, Carol Ark says, what if you include the link in your website? So if that was a link to something like Discovery Streaming, uh, again, I think that's another reason why Discovery Streaming makes those assignment builders available to teachers because you can create the assignment, your students can log into their system and be able to view those videos. If you're downloading the video, and you're, and you're making it available outside of their system, then you're in violation of a, you know, you, you're using it for the same purpose that Discovery is, so there's no transformative use of that original video, um, and you're using it outside of their, their, your license agreement with them. Um, That's a good point, yeah. Somebody asked earlier about where can we find records of copyright infringement? So, oh, like um, court cases. I'll, I'll have to ask Renee so. at the media. I'll have to ask Renee at the media lab if there are. I mean, I I seem to be under the understanding that that there haven't been a whole lot of them, and I think it's coming up more now because of Creative Commons that. Uh, because users are now able to license their work in their own way, I, I think it's really starting to test the ideas of copyright in general. Um, and I think, therefore, those folks that, that have their um, those agreements um, are getting a little concerned. Um, what is this going to do to the newspaper industry? What is this going to do to media publishing? Um, and I think we're seeing the pendulum kind of swing back and forth. But I, again, and it's why I think it's so important for us to focus on the process. What is the process of reasoning through our use of material, our use of media, our use of publications within school? We've always done it with print media. We've always taught students with print media, I'm going to go in, I'm going to read something, I'm going to revise it in my head, I'm going to rewrite it in a certain way, and I'm going to cite where I got that information from. But we haven't always, I think, been so good about doing it with, um, with other types of media. Um, and I think now that we're requiring students to use that type of media and project, now that we're using media that way ourselves as educators, I think it's really important for us to start to think through that process. Okay. And somebody asked, how long can they keep um, the items that they like make a copy and that, that they use in their classroom? 
I wrote it down because I don't remember exactly the wording. And I had about two minutes before the noise has just entered in my household. <laughs> um, so again, it's it's lunchtime, and I've just seen the whole troops come in. Okay. So, I don't well, know how much you, longer I can. That's Sorry, okay. I didn't get to all the questions again. Okay. I think. Yeah. So hopefully the conversation will continue. Hopefully we'll get some folks to join the wiki space and put some of these questions and ideas in as scenarios and get people talking about them. Definitely, because I think we can talk about this 24-7 and still never get every question answered from each of us. There's just so much, you know, and, and the and gray areas are what makes it. Right, and the gray areas occur okay. because you really do have to analyze it. The gray areas occur because you really do have to analyze it's situ context and situation. Um, you know, and I go back to that video and it plays in my head every time I play it. Context and situation determines how fair you supply. And I think that we really need to start to teach that. That video, I think, is a great starter point to teach kids to understand what is the context of your use, what is the situation of your use, are you being fair in creating your material, and are you being fair to the to the copyright holder as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that um, we kind of have to be cut off, but um, I definitely am interested in engaging more in the conversation. Please, please, please continue to join the wiki space. Um, we post uh, there each time there's a, a live presentation. We try to put it on there. We try to put it as well on the Media Lab site. Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll get more in the conversation. So. Well, thank you, Kristen, for staying after, and everybody else um, for staying after. And we hope that you'll join us in the future um, for and on May second when we start talking about inbox zero. I'm anxious to hear about that concept. So have a great day, afternoon, evening, night to everybody, and we'll see you in the future. Take care, everybody.